This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. The passage for this week is 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 to 18. It's the reading for June 6, 2021, according to the Revised Common Lectionary. It is the reading for the second Sunday after the Pentecost, also known as proper number five, in the year B cycle of the lectionary. I'd like to look at this text in four different parts. The first part is the ask. The ask in this story is essentially how the elders of Israel would like there to be a king who rules over them rather than a judge. So when chapter eight opens, we see the final judge over the nation of Israel, Samuel. And Samuel has two sons, Joel and Abijah. And as Samuel is aging and is preparing to retire, he'd like to hand the reins over to Joel and Abijah. The difficulty is, is in the opening verses of chapter 8, we find that Joel and Abijah are completely corrupt. They're taking bribes, they're functioning in all different forms of nepotism. And so the elders come to Samuel and complain to him that his sons are corrupt and that they would like to move in a different direction. What's strange in this episode is that as we read the book of Judges, which is the chronology leading up to 1 Samuel chapter 1, we find that there's no occurrence where one of the judges attempts to hand off their power or authority through a hereditary process. No judge is trying to make their son the judge. So this is the first in what Samuel is attempting to do. And so the elders of Israel come to Samuel in his own hometown of Ramah, and they confront him there, and they simply tell him that they don't want his sons to be judges over Israel because they're corrupt. That's the first thing they tell him. The second thing they tell Samuel is that they want to be like the other nations. And this is where the story becomes quite interesting. This desire to become like the other nations in many ways is the the real reason that the elders are seeking to have a monarch rule over them rather than a judge. The key passageway here for us is this, is that God's call is for uniqueness, not conformity. It's the uniqueness that Israel has as a nation having no king other than God that in some ways invites curiosity and questions. And it's the same truth that we find in our own lives, even in the teachings of Jesus, where he tells his disciples that they are the salt and light of the world, even leaven, that there's supposed to be a peculiarity around what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And in this particular text in 1 Samuel chapter 8, God's call is for uniqueness among the nation of Israel, not conformity. So when the elders come and say, we want to be like the other nations, well, this is going to open up the doorway to all sorts of issues that the nation is going to have to eventually confront. That first key passageway is that God's call is for uniqueness, not conformity. The second question I'd like to address in this particular passage is, what's the meaning of this request? What what does it mean for the nation of Israel to want to be ruled by a king rather than by a judge? 
And what we learn in this story is that the desire to be like any other nation is a a warning we read for the first time, actually, in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Even during the days of Moses, there was a, a warning or a harbinger that if you want to be like all the other nations, in some ways it will be the beginning of the end for you. Now, now a little note on the history going on here, that 1 Samuel is part of what's called a Deuteronomic history. It's a really big word, but basically it means it's a history told from the theological perspective put forth in the book of Deuteronomy. And so we can read a series of books in the Old Testament together through that history, and they are the books of Deuteronomy, the book of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. Now, in our Bible, Samuel and Kings are split up into two different books, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and that's simply because when they translated these books out of Hebrew into Greek, Greek took more real estate, and so they couldn't fit the entire book on one scroll, so they had to divide it into two scrolls. That's why you have a first and a second Samuel and a first and a second Kings. So when we read all of these books together, Deuteronomy through Kings, we find some certain unique values, like fidelity is a value that's lifted up, fidelity and relationship with God and with one another. Uniqueness is another value that's lifted up, that the nation of Israel are called to be a unique and peculiar people. But really what's at the heart of this Deuteronomic history is relationships, the way in which the people abide with one another, the way in which they abide with authority, and most importantly, how they abide with God. And these books are attempting to answer a question. And the question happens much, much later in the history of Israel when they find themselves in exile. And as the theologians and the thinkers of that day in the exile that would happen centuries later would look back on their history and say, how did we get here? How did we get conquered as a people? How did we get ourselves into exile? These books are an attempt to answer that question. They're an an attempt to suggest that the reason why the nation of Israel ended up in exile in the 6th century has everything to do with what happened throughout their history. When Samuel first hears that the people or the elders want to have a king rather than a judge, what we see here is something fascinating, is that he doesn't intercede for the elders with God, as a judge normally would do. Instead, Samuel goes to God and complains about them. And God makes it clear that this isn't a rejection of Samuel. This is actually a rejection of God. Uh, Author and theologian Joyce, Joyce Baldwin suggests that Samuel has now joined a club, a, a long line of figures like Moses, like uh, even Saul in this case, or Samuel, perhaps anointed by God, but rejected at times by humans. And ultimately, we see this in the life of Jesus, anointed by God, but rejected by humans. So Baldwin is saying that Samuel is in good company here with those who have been sent and anointed by God, but have been rejected by others. You see, in other nations, which is what the Israelite elders want to be like, The king in those nations is a semi-god. So the meaning of their request, the, the request of the elders, is to create one more degree of separation between their covenant god, Yahweh, and themselves. And so instead of them, instead of experiencing the leadership of God through a judge, 
Now they will be experiencing the leadership of a king who is attempting to represent God in their midst. Samuel is coy here as this story plays out because there's a play on words here that the Hebrew word for judge and justice are from the very same root. So when Samuel suggests that they're rejecting him as judge, in some ways they're actually rejecting justice itself. And more on that in a moment. Biblical scholar and theologian Walter Brugman tells us, that this choice that they're making is not a political choice. It's not about power. It's a theological choice. It's a choice of distancing themselves from the reign and rule of God. The key passageway here for us is this, is that institutions and structures should enhance relationships. When they become self-preserving or self-perpetuating, they have failed. The call for a king is a rejection of justice, it's a rejection of relationship, and ultimately it's a rejection of love. Institutions and structures should enhance relationships, but when they become instead the object or the focus of all the energy and effort, failure is inevitable. The third aspect of the story I'd like to turn to are the implications of the request that they've made. After this conversation between God and Samuel, Samuel goes under the instruction of God to tell everyone what's going to happen if you have a king. So Samuel launches into a long series of warnings. It's part of a litany. It really is grounded in more historical writings of the day about the rights of kings or some kind of royal treaty. And back to Brueggemann again. The key here in this text, according to Brueggemann, is in verse 17, where it says this, that if you have a king, you yourselves, and notice the grammar there, it's called being a self-reflexive, and what it means is that the Israelites will have done this to themselves, that you will have made yourselves, in a sense, his servants. You yourselves will become his servants. That verse in this text is critical. Because it's a reversal of the Exodus story. It's the very opposite of liberation. When the Israelites were freed from their slavery and captivity in Egypt under the merciless rule of Pharaoh, now by requesting a king, they're going to put themselves into the same form of enslavement. And this long list that Samuel puts forth as to what will happen to them if they have a king uh, is meant to in some ways conjure up what will, things will look like in the future when Solomon is their king. And there are many who suggest that this long litany of kind of taxes and tithes that are assessed upon the people are reflective of the same ones that maybe Solomon did during his reign. Now, rather than list all of these things in these verses that Samuel outlines, I would simply suggest that we take care of what it means. That the tithe that the king will assess, the taxes that the king will put upon people, the requests he will make of their property, of their energies, of their skills, of their talents, all the ways the king will collect those things are for the aggrandizement of the king. The king, by virtue of being king, will require these things, this kind of aggrandizement, this glorification of their power and their authorities. You see, 
with the judges, this history we're reading from Deuteronomy all the way to the end of the second Kings makes it clear that when the people call out, God answers. First Samuel chapter eight tells us that they're going to cry out eventually about the, the reign and rule of a king. And the text is very clear. It says that God will not answer them. Why? Well, the expectations were made clear. The elders knew what would happen. This chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 8 is designed to communicate exactly what will happen if they have a king. And actually, the 12 tribes of Israel would end up with only three kings who would reign over them, Saul, David, and Solomon. Because of Solomon's taxation policies and his heavy-handed way of dealing with uh, the nation of Israel led to the kingdom splitting apart rather than staying united. Yet when Solomon had chosen his son who would succeed him, the 10 northern tribes of Israel simply rejected it because of all of these things that actual Samuel tells the people in 1 Samuel 8. This history also makes it clear that this request will ultimately lead to exile. By having a human king, Israel now becomes a political player rather than an outpost of God's justice and love. The key passageway here for us is this, is that God alone is the object of glory. You see, the request for a king means that the king will edge out God in the end. And that's actually what happens with Solomon. It happens even with David, even with Saul. And that all of this manifestation of God's provision is forfeited because now it'll all be the king's provision and for the king's glory. And this isn't meant to say that human power is, is always corrupt, but in this particular case, Samuel is warning the people that God alone should be the object of glory. And if you put a king in place, that king is going to want to draw glory, attention, and honor unto themselves. And in doing so, it will lead the people away from the God who provides for them and instead become reliant on the human power of a king. Ultimately, this story breaks toward grace. At the end of this passage of scripture, God tells Samuel to give the people exactly what they've asked for. You see, this is the grace at work in this story, is that, that even though the people and the elders have rejected Samuel and have thus rejected God as their leader, God does not stop working. No matter how far or how much God's people reject the love and justice that comes from God, God continues to pursue. You see, monarchy is a rejection of God's leadership. But God, instead of simply washing God's hands of the people, God persists. And this is the final key passageway in this text, is that God's faithfulness endures. This long-suffering, this faithfulness, is a Hebrew word, hesed. And it bears witness to the fact that, that God simply doesn't quit, even when the people, well, quit on God. That doesn't erase the natural consequences of their actions. They are going to face the hardship of having a king. This does not erase God's justice and its economy. 
that over the years of having a king, the nation of Israel and the different tribes that eventually split into two different nations of Israel and Judah, they will abuse the poor. They will exploit the immigrant. They will oppress the marginalized. So God's faithfulness doesn't erase the justice and economy of God. No, God will speak forth in prophets and leaders later. It doesn't erase accountability for actions. It means that God is always ready to restore and renew. God is always present. So it comes to this. Over all of these centuries when Israel and eventually Judah will have a king, will that king choose to be an imitator of God's grace or will that king be an imposter, someone who tries to stand in for God in the midst of the people? And so over the next seven weeks, I'm going to be exploring through this podcast what it means to move into these places of leadership and what are the strengths and weaknesses of these leaders of both Saul and eventually David and how this all works out as we understand what leadership means in a new way. I hope you'll join me in this adventure. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.